I want you to find in your Bibles the book of Romans. Romans chapter number one is going to be our text this evening. So uh, we're going to be talking about the holistic gospel. Uh, and so some people say, what does the word holistic mean? It's kind of a weird word. Nobody usually talks like that. Um, so I want to explain. It's really a, a philosophical term, but it's also a medicinal term. Medicine, you know, dealing with medicine. Um, but it's also a Joe term, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it in a terminology that I think you can relate to. Does anybody have sweet obsessions in here? Like something that you look at as being a, a sweet obsession? Like, I mean, it's chocolate or, a, you know, a hot cup of coffee or whatever that might be for you. If you have a sweet obsession, say amen. amen. All right, okay, good. Well, that's normal because I do too. And anybody who knows me uh, knows that I really struggle um, with uh, Oreo cookies, um, anybody like me? Like you, you have a weird obsession when it comes to Oreo cookies? All right, so get, let me tell you, I'm giving this out tonight, all right? I'm giving this out to whoever takes great notes and uh, who pays attention and leans into uh, tonight's sermon. Um, so if you show me your notes, this, this package of Oreo cookies belongs to you. I gave a challenge out to the, the, uh, the, ch- the guys up here, the little ones. Uh, not little ones, you're growing into manhood. Uh, so anyway, um, they, I told them, anybody who wants these, this bag of cookies, this bag, my wife said, it's, not a, it's a package of cookies. Say it's a package. So this is a, if you want them, you've got to take good notes. Well, anyway, let me explain. It's not just Oreos. It's got to be double-stuffed Oreos for me. Now, let me, when I talk about holistic, allow me to kind of clarify the definition of holistic. The word means um, something in its entirety, uh, something as a whole. So when you use the term a holistic gospel, I'm talking about how the gospel affects every area of your life. Um, it, should, it should affect every area of your life. Um, so that's kind of the, 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 the premise of what I'm going to talk about. But when I get into the Oreo cookie illustration, allow me to explain it this way. Um, whenever I see a package of Oreo cookies in my kitchen, um, there's something that happens to me. Uh, and I can't really explain I could be on the strictest diet, uh, but when I see Oreo cookies, uh, there's, there's something that happens first in my mind. I immediately start thinking about the deliciousness of a chocolate cookie in my mouth. Um, illustratively, it's important, okay? Um, the taste buds in my mouth just go crazy when I eat an Oreo cookie. Do I hear an amen? Okay, got a couple of you. Some of you guys are big on, like, uh, coffee cakes or uh, something like that. This is me, okay? This is my addiction. And it's okay. This is not a drug. Uh, it can be. Um, but Oreos are, is, is my weakness. So I, when I think about the Oreo cookies, it affects the way I feel, always. I immediately start um, getting happy. I get happy thoughts, you know, some of you ladies in here love chocolate, you know, and you get happy thoughts when you think about chocolate. I get happy thoughts when you think about Oreo cookies. I do. And this is not a sell to give me, or- I don't want any Oreo cookies. I'm on a diet, all right? Give me a break. But here's the thing. When it comes to these cookies, something happens in my mind, then it affects my emotions, and then it affects my appetite. I get this holistic appetite for Oreo cookies. It starts invading every area of my life. I start, you know, I start, then I, then I go so far as to touch the cookie. You ever done that? I know it's like, don't act like you're not, I'm weird. You do this too. You know, you go to the cookie and you smell the cookie. Oh, it smells amazing. And then you touch the cookie and you think, no, I can resist. No, I can't resist. I can't, no, I can't resist. And then you start, you start touching it. And then you start getting excited and you eat the cookie. Now, it's game over when the cookie is consumed because then you just want more. You want more and you want more. And you, want, you just want to shove all the whole package in your mouth and then the diet is gone. You just put on 10 pounds from one stinking package of Oreo cookies. Anybody want them? Okay, so my thing, what I'm saying is the appetite that I get from Oreo cookies is all-consuming. And it's the same way, I'm trying to illustrate to you, the same way spiritually when it comes to the gospel. The gospel is holistic. It does affect every area of your life. 
your emotions, your thoughts, um, your attitudes, your actions. It, does, it affects the way you think. It affects the way you live your life. It is holistic. Now, with that said, let's, let's kind of think about your, our lives as a whole. Um, let's individually break this down. Well, don't we live categorical lives? We, we live our lives in, in like segments, you know, or we kind of had categories or, or departmentalize our lives. For instance, I've got a job life. This is my, my job life. This is my career life. This is my home life, my family life. This is my recreational life. And over here is my Christian life. And we all struggle with this. I think you can identify with that. And it, what we struggle with understanding is how this all integrates How does the Christian life, the life of the gospel, affect the rest of our lives? How can the gospel affect the way we live at work, affect the way we parent our children, affect the way we have fun with recreational activity? How does the gospel impact every area of our life? Because it does. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to take you to the book of Romans, because in this book, um, you're going to come face to face with how... This, this, the gospel flips upside down this ideology of compartmentalizing your life. You should never compartmentalize your life. You should never categorize your life in different distinct categories because as it relates to the gospel, think of it in terms like this. How many of you guys have terrible vision? You can't see without your glasses. All right, I'm not alone. We should sing a song together. Anyway, um, here's, when it comes to glasses, here's how the gospel works. The moment you get saved... You begin to live your life looking through the gospel. Everything you see is looking through the lens of the gospel. The way you think about people you work with. The way the people that you, know, you speak to that get on your nerves. or the, the, Everything, your attitudes, your, the, your outlook is all being viewed through the gospel. That's how it affects you. And that's how the gospel truly is holistic. So with that in mind... I need to break down. I want to take uh, this um, proverbial hammer and just demolish uh, this idea that you should have categories for your life. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. It should all be one life, one heart, one passion, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk about. So really to kind of get into this passage in Romans chapter 1, you begin to see the thesis for this entire book. How many of you guys know who Martin Luther is? Obviously, hopefully you do. He's the, the leading Reformation, uh, well, I should say the leader of the Reformation. It started in, in Germany. He wrote an entire commentary on the book of Romans, wrote a lot of commentaries. But I recommend this if you like to read. Uh, this is a great book. Uh, this particular book started the Reformation, um, as you know today, as Protestantism. Um, it used to all be in the Catholic Church. Everything used to be funneled through the government. Well, this is the beginning. And his life was radically changed when he began, began to realize that the gospel affects every area of your life. And the moment you understand that, you go through this life transformation that affects every day that you breathe. It affects everything you do. And he began to explain that. And let me read you this, how he, uh, the beginning of his introduction of the book of uh, Romans, this is how he explained how powerful the book of Romans is. He said, this epistle is clearly, or is really the chief part of the New Testament, and the very purest gospel. And it is worthy not only that every Christian should know word for word, comma, by heart, but also but also applies to himself with every day. He should be applied every day to his life as the daily bread of the soul. See, what are you talking about? He's talking about the book of Romans. 
This book radically changed his perspective of the gospel. Now, every one of you guys has been impacted by the gospel. We have all been impacted by the gospel. But here's where it happens. Usually, we just think about the gospel the moment you get saved. You, you hear the gospel, Jesus Christ, he came in this world to free you of your sin. He paid your penalty. You trust in him, he makes you righteous. The righteousness of God is applied to your life and you have begun a brand new life. You're a brand new creature. Amen, praise God, done. Close chapter, now what's the next part? Do you understand that that's not the way the gospel is intended to be? The gospel is supposed to be viewed every day of your life. You look at, the, you look your, you look at things through the lens of the gospel. So I want you to understand, it's not the starting point of Christianity, it is Christianity. The gospel is Christianity. So, we've got to answer the question, what is the gospel? What is it? So that's where we're going to start. Now Paul explains what the gospel is in the book of Romans in chapter 1 by it really kind of explaining why he's not ashamed of the gospel. At this time, there's people being killed for following Jesus, for believing in the power, the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ, and they're losing their life. They would be baptized, and as soon as they come out of the water, they go, out to, they go back to the recreational lifestyle, and they'd be slaughtered because they were just baptized and following Jesus. They'd be killed. And, G- and Paul's saying, listen, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of saying that I'm a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he explains what the gospel is. Let's start in verse number 14. And then we're going to read through 21. So this is going to be our text this evening. And we're going to kind of enjoy this study. He says this, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. He said, I'm a debtor to these men. So as much as as, is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, colon, for it is the power of God. Unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who behold the truth in righteousness, or who hold the truth. Of unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that every so that they are without excuse. But or because because of this, when they knew God. They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Talking about idols here. Wherefore God also gave up the uncleanness under the lust of their own heart, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. All right. This context is he's laying out his thesis statement for the entire book. And he's telling you what the gospel is. So we're going we're gonna to backtrack here. The first thing I want you to look at is found in verse 16. What is the gospel? The answer to what, the, what is the gospel is this. He says that he's not ashamed of the gospel. And he says this. The gospel is the power of God. Let's start there. Verse number 16. The power of God. Now, you've heard this 
perhaps many times, uh, the word power here in the Greek is the word dunamos, oftentimes used to describe uh, power. But it means, the word actually means the power of something that is, that is it's of its intrinsic value. Um, the power of something is based on the value of what it is made up of. All right? And the word is dunamos. It's where we get the word, the English word dynamite. You guys got a stick of dynamite in here. I'm going to blow this place up, all right, for Jesus. No, don't get nervous, all right? This is, this is not, this is, a, this is an illustration. I'm not going to light this thing. All right, so for the sake of illustration, allow me to explain. What makes a stick of dynamite so powerful? You know, the English people, when we made, we came up with the word dynamite to describe this stick, it wasn't by accident. We did it on purpose. They understood what the word dunamis meant in the Greek, and they're using this to explain why it's so powerful. If anybody knows anything about the stick of dynamite, what it is, is it's really just made up of, uh, you know, a compact, absorbent material, such as sand. Um, it could be dirt. Primarily, it's a lot of times it's used as sawdust, and they cram a bunch of sawdust in this little red stick. So why is that so powerful? Because the, the sawdust is absorbed in nitroglycerin. So check it out. Nitroglycerin is a fun thing if you're a pyromaniac. Dangerous, but fun. Um, don't do this, kids. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, nitroglycerin is, is what, they, what they, they douse the sawdust in. It's a highly flammable chemical. It's explosive chemical. And they, they basically drench the sawdust in it. And they pack it into this little red stick. And when they light it, that's what causes the explosion. It's not the sawdust that causes the explosion. It's the nitroglycerin that the sawdust has been absorbed in. It's the value... The power of the dynamite comes from the value of the nitroglycerin that's in it, that's been absorbed in it. So here's what he's saying. If you want to know what makes the power of God so real, the power of God is the gospel. Did you understand what I just said? The gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is the power of God. So in other words, when we talk about this, we use this term all the time, I want to see the power of God. I want to know the power of God. I want, to, I want to experience the power of God in my life. What you're saying is, I want to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is the nitroglycerin of God. Does that make sense? So I'm trying my best to clarify this. My, my, and I think, see, this is what I love about your church, our church. You guys know how to think. I love the fact that you get it. And when, it, when you get it, usually you go 100% in it. And that's what stirs my heart the most. When we get up here and preach to you, I love the fact that you apply this stuff to your life. And that's what gets our church in motion. That's what gets our church, that's why we're so passionate about reaching more people. Because you're understanding how this gospel truly has power. The gospel is the power of God onto salvation. Now, continuing this idea, um, you say what makes the gospel so powerful. It's, it's the fact that it is the, the essence of God. See, now, he didn't say here that the power of God is creation or the power of God is the sun, the moon, and the stars. He clearly says that the power of God is the gospel. That's significant. If you want to know more about the power of God, then you need to know more about the gospel. You say, oh, wait a minute. I know the gospel. I know the gospel. I can quote you the Romans road. I know the gospel. And listen to me when I'm telling you. It is not a matter of a previous knowledge of the gospel. Jesus came, he died, he rose again and he, on the third day, and that's the gospel. It's not a matter of having a knowledge of the gospel that I'm speaking about. What I'm talking about is, is something that is expansive. It's growing. In other words, 
You've got to understand how to grow in the knowledge of the gospel. It's not just something that you experience one time in your life, turn the chapter, and then what's phase number two of your Christian experience? The gospel is meant to be something that happens every day. It's the lens by which you view life. And if that's the case, then you've got to know how to live and how to grow in your knowledge, in your experience of the gospel. If you never experience a growing, expansive awareness of the power of God, then you're missing out on your whole reason why you exist as a Christian. So let's, let me explain this. The next question would then be this. How do you grow in the knowledge of the gospel? If you're thinking like I am, the next question would be is how do you grow in the knowledge of God? And it's simply this. Continue into verse number 17. He says this. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Here he kind of goes into the next step explaining how, how the gospel really makes sense and how it works. First thing that happens when you understand the gospel or when you grow in the knowledge of the gospel is this. It reveals God's righteousness. What makes, what makes the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, so powerful is it reveals the righteousness of God. This is that nitroglycerin that I'm talking about of God. The righteousness of God is found in the gospel. Notice the word here. He said, for therein, and I encourage you, parentheses that. For therein, it's talking about in the gospel, inside of the good news is the righteousness of God revealed. You know when Moses was on top of the mountain, and we all know this, this passage is very familiar to a lot of us, you, you, you see Moses says, hey God, I just wanna, I wanna behold your glory. I wanna see you. I wanna experience you. And isn't that what he said? And what did God say? I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you in the cleft of the rock, I'm gonna put my hand over you, and I'm gonna pass by you. Now, here's the crazy thing. We find ourselves praying the same prayer. God, I wanna, I wanna experience you. I wanna know, that. and if you're not praying that way, you're missing out, by the way. I want to experience you. I want to know you. I want to see you, God. I want to know how awesome you are. With my life, I want to be able to experience that. What you're praying for is, God, open my eyes that I can behold how beautiful and how powerful you are. So how does that happen? God, I need you to open my eyes so I can see the gospel more clearly. How does this gospel change my life? How does it make sense? What the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. That word revealed, just in case I think it's important to note, it's, it, it's explaining, it's a present passive indicative, meaning it's supposed to be happening every day. The, the righteousness of God is going to be revealing itself to you every day. As you live this life as a Christian, as you follow Christ, you're going to have more light shining into your life, and you're going to begin to see righteously. God, you're going to see God and his righteousness more clearly every day. It's an ever-increasing expansion in your life. As you crave the knowledge of the gospel, the gospel illuminates your heart. Now, let's, let's explain it. Think more personally. How did you get saved? Think about your salvation experience. This is the best thing I could take you to for your own for, for explanation's sake. When you got saved, is it not, is not this how it all went down? You heard the gospel. You heard the good news. You knew that you had a burden of sin in your life, and you knew the consequence of that sin was to face an eternal punishment, a wrath that you knew you could not bear. You knew that you were scared to death to have to face, come face to face with the judgment of a holy, living God, and you were scared to death. And then the good news was preached to you, and you heard that Jesus Christ has literally come into the world 
and paid the punishment, the full weight of the punishment of God on your behalf. He died in your place. This is what makes the glorious gospel so amazing. Jesus came, died in your place, took the full payment of your sin for you, died, buried, and rose back to life. And if you believe the gospel. So what happens is you hear the gospel. The next thing that happens is illumination. It all starts to make sense. Light is shining inside of your life. The righteousness of God is beginning to shine on, like the lights come on the room. All of a sudden, you can see Jesus like you've never seen him before. It makes sense to you. You didn't know this before. I mean, you've grown up in church perhaps your whole life. You've seen dramas. You've you've seen the, the Christmas story. But this experience was different. It made sense to you in a very real way. The light clicked on. That's called illumination in the Bible. Holy Spirit illumination. Light bulb comes on. And after illumination, what's the very next thing that happened? Faith. You believed. You believed what you just saw. That is how the gospel works every day in your life. That's exactly how it works every day. See, what happens is the righteousness of God is going to continue to reveal itself to you as a Christian, as you're growing, as you're wanting to see more of God, you're wanting to experience more power of God. The righteousness of God is going to become exposed to you as you are exposing yourself to the truth of God's word. You're reading your Bible, and what's happening is illumination. It's coming to light. Righteousness is being revealed, and when the righteousness is seen, and you see it, the very next thing that happens is faith erupts in your heart. Notice the verse, verse 15. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Let me explain this, that phrase, from faith to faith. It's a very, a lot of scholars have been debating over that for a long time. But you know, I think it's pretty simple. It's kind of reflecting back to the 2 Corinthians passage where where Paul said from glory to glory. It means when you get saved, this is your faith. This is where you start, all right? The gospel, you see the gospel, the illumination, it all makes sense to you. A faith erupts in your heart. You trust in Jesus for salvation. Faith. Faith to faith over here. It's a process. Well, what's, what, how do you get from that point of faith to this point of faith? How do you grow in your Christian life? How do you get from a carnal man to becoming a spiritual man who's humble in your response to bad things? How, when, when horrible things happen in your life, how do you become stable as an individual spiritual person? Faith to faith. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. When, you see the, when you're able to look Through the lens of the gospel, and you're able to see, I got sin in my life, Jesus, again today. I can't believe it, but I got sin in my life. I I have a wicked heart. I I, I struggle with jealousy. My anger's coming up in my life again, God. I, I have to come back. And what you do is you go back to the gospel. You get on your knees just like you did when you got saved. Jesus, I got sin in my life. My burden's here, but I need you to give me righteousness. I see your righteousness. When I read the Bible, it makes sense to me. I need you, Jesus. Notice the terms. I need you, Jesus. Ain't no pride in that. You see it. When you ask Jesus, you need him, what happens is you begin to see that that the righteousness of God is, is so expansive. It's so full. And he wraps you with that righteousness. Okay? And then when you get wrapped in the righteousness of God, what happens? Faith. Faith erupts. So then you go from there to here. Wait, I got sin in my life. Oh, I, got, well, I need more righteousness. I got to see you, God. I need to, and what happened? Wrapped in righteousness. More faith erupts. It's this process. You know what that process is called, church? Sanctification. This is the walk of the Christian. 
And this is what Paul is explaining, why he's not ashamed of it. Because his life is being radically changed by the gospel. Not just when he got saved, but something that happens to him every day. That changes you. Now, with that said, let me do a little comparison contrast here. I think it's, I think it's significant to note this. As I talked about from faith to faith, notice what the verse says in continuing. He says, the just shall live by faith. That's a quotation from the book of Habakkuk, Old Testament. He's saying, this is nothing new, guys, who live in Rome. This is an Old Testament principle. The just will live by faith. Abraham did it. Noah did it. Everybody does this when they want to grow closer to God and experience the power of God. They understand they need Jesus. They understand they need God's help. So, the just shall live by faith. This is a lifestyle. So, evaluate your life real quick before we go any further. When was the last time you paused and looked back at the gospel? Because isn't it true that we just think the gospel is just the first part of Christianity? It's the starting point. But can I flip that whole world upside down and say that's wrong? The gospel is Christianity. It is the power of God for your life every day. All right, it's good. All right, now talk about comparison contrast. You know what Jesus said? This is significant. What is sin? Do you ever think about that? At its bare basic level root, what is sin? If you've got a pen, how many of you guys got a pen? Raise your hand. Good, write this down. John chapter 16. John 16. I'm going to take you to verse, uh, verse number 9. I'm not going to turn there, but you, can, you might recognize the passage. This is the passage where Jesus is explaining that the Holy Spirit is going to come into the world. And he tells us what sin is at its basic level root. What is sin? He says this, of sin. He says, I'm, the, the Holy Spirit is going to come into the world to convict the world of sin. And what is sin? Of sin because they believe not on me. Sin at its basic root level is simply not believing on Jesus. Say, well, I don't know how that, how does that make sense to me? I wrote this down. If you are not growing in your faith, everyone listen to this. If you're not growing in your faith right now, maybe you've been a Christian for 30 years, and you feel like you're at a plateau, listen. If you're not growing in your faith, then the reality is you're growing in your doubts. It's true. It's, you know, we often hear that illustration of an, an escalator. The Christian life is an escalator, but you're going up backwards. And you try to climb the backwards up the escalator. And when you pause, you go backwards. And then you, and you start climbing again. Well, here's, it's a good illustration. But what I'm saying is this. Sin at its basic level is doubting God. It's doubting Jesus. So, your root, the root of every sin is not believing on Jesus. Name your sin. Name your sin. Not out loud in your head, in your heart. Name your sin. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's, I don't know, um, envy, gossip, whatever it is. Do you know that that sin is in your life because you're doubting God in that area of your life? You're angry. You struggle with anger. I'll just use that in my mind. The reason why you struggle with anger is because you don't believe that God can take care of the situation. So you're going to respond yourself. I'm going to take care of this. I don't believe that Jesus can handle this. Therefore, I'm going to respond to it. Because you're too slow, Jesus. Anger. Envy. Name your sin. Lust. Everything that you struggle with in your life. Do you understand that all of that is simply at its basic level doubting Jesus? You don't believe on Jesus. Notice the term on. It's a prepositional word. On. Not in and say so not believing in Jesus, because you may believe in Jesus, you may be saved, but you're not believing on Jesus. 
I'm standing on Jesus. I'm standing on his righteousness. You're not doing that. That's why you respond with sin. Everyone struggles with that. No one's better than anybody else. We struggle with sin in our life. I'm just trying to get you to realize that the reason why you struggle with sin is because you're doubting God in that area of your life. Because Jesus said every sin is simply not believing on Jesus. Now, continuing, the opposite. Let's contrast that. Flip it upside down. What does it mean to be righteous then? If sin at its basic level is doubting God, then righteousness at its basic level is what? Faith. It's faith. Faith in God. Growing in faith is how you become more righteous. So here's how it works. I want to grow my faith. I want to grow my righteousness. It's simply this. The more you, you've reached forward to grow in righteousness, you want to study God's word, the more illumination you're going to see, the more you're going to have confidence in God. You're climbing a ladder the more, or a mountain. You're climbing, so you see that. I, I've got confidence in God. The more confidence you have in God, the more righteous you're going to be. The more righteousness you need of God, the more confidence you're going to have in God. And what's happening is you're climbing this, this huge mountain called the gospel. That is how you experience power in your life. That's, that's a holistic gospel. It affects every area of your life. Tithing, Pastor Tony spent the entire morning this morning talking about the issue of surrendering your finances, surrendering your, 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 your tithing, understanding that, that this is so important that you get. If you view the gospel, if you live your life viewing through the gospel, tithing is, the, is so minute <laughs> compared to, to understanding that you need God for overcoming your sin. I, you want, I'll give you, I, I can trust you with my, get my money, God. That's nothing because you, you freed me from this. Does that make sense? And by the way, if you're not tithing, I'm not ripping on you. I'm just saying, grow. <laughs> grow some. All right. That's a comparison kind. Last thing I want to say is this. What is the gospel? So far, by way of review, the gospel is the power of God. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. And lastly, the gospel reveals the wrath of God. Found in verses 18 through 20. Let's, just, let's read this. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed. The same Greek word, revealed, from from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, if those of you who are in this room, maybe you're skeptical of this whole Christianity thing right now. You're not really convinced, not fully convinced that Jesus truly is as glorious as he may portray himself to be. Well, let me explain this. This is a reality. There is a wrath that every human being has to face. And it's clearly seen. You can't deny it. We, we, we understand. Just look at, for instance, the heavens. The Bible says, just look at the heavens. Look at the storms that happen in the world. I mean, Texas experienced the massive floods. People are losing their life because of the ferociousness of water. Something that they have in their living room. They drink every day. But when you put force and, and ferociousness and wrath behind it, what happens? You can't, you're no match for it. The tornadoes. Tornadoes coming through Ohio and all these different places. They're destroying everything. Do you think you could stand in front of a tornado and not be hurt? No way. You're going to end up in, you know, Lancaster or something. You know, you'll be all the way over there. So you're no match for it. If you're no match for the storms of the world, what makes you think you're going to be a match to the one who created the storms? That's ludicrous. That doesn't make any sense. It's inevitable. Everyone in this room is going to have to bear the full weight of that kind of wrath. Everyone is. That ought to scare you. That ought to make you scared and fearful. 
Because you're, you're no match for this God. Let me put it on linguistics terms for those of the younger generation. God's got beef with your sin, all right? He ain't happy about your sin. In fact, your sin has a huge consequence, and it will destroy you. There's no way around it other than Jesus. Allow me to explain how Jesus works. You read the rest of the, the book of Romans, specifically in chapter number five, you really get a good picture of the gospel. And he says, hey, listen, God commended his love toward us while we were yet sinning. Jesus Christ died for you in your place and became your substitute. Let me have you turn this passage just for, for importance sake. Um, turn to uh, Isaiah 53. I, I think it's important. Isaiah 53, uh, verse number five. Very, very popular passage while you're turning there, allow me to say this. Jesus is the only completely pure, listen to the terms, completely pure, righteous man that ever walked on the earth. He's the only one who's been completely pure, and that's because he is the righteous God. He's robed in human flesh. This is so hard for so many people to understand, but just try to wrap your mind of this. God creator of the universe came into his creation he walked into his painting so to speak <laughs> and he became one of the people he, be- he took upon himself a robe of flesh <coughs> and he walked among us and the bible says the biggest difference between him and us he's still god he had no sin completely pure completely righteous robed in flesh and by the way jesus This pure, holy God endured the full weight. I mean, not holding anything back. The full weight, the the force and the, the fury of God's wrath was poured on him in that moment when he was hanging on the cross. Remember what he said? Those of you who've grown up in church, maybe you heard the statement. Jesus looked up and says, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you understand that that point was the most critical point in the Trinity, the triune God? Because in that very moment, for the first time ever, the Trinity split. The Father turned his back on the Son. There, this never happened. And darkness covered the entire world because in that moment, the holy living God took the place of all the sinners in this world and he bore all of the weight, all of it, all of the anger that's coming to be poured out upon you. He bore it all, everyone's sin, everyone's punishment. And the Bible says he died in agony, died in agony. And Isaiah 53 says this, Jesus, he was wounded for our transgressions. That means our sin. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. The Bible says that. Now, I don't know if you have young children, but sometimes it's very complicated to share the gospel with children. And uh, my... A, f- a professor of mine gave this to me, and I highly, highly recommend this to you if you have small children. Um, this is a, uh, I'm going to show you a picture of it. I'm trying to share the gospel to my kids right now, and this is called the ABC Memory Book um, by, I think it's Fellowship, uh, scripture, scripture Memory Fellowship. And in this passage, I'm, I'm explaining to my son Landon and, a- and my daughter Addie right now, this verse, and it says, I'm teaching the alphabet to them in the letter B. But he was wounded for our transgressions. And I, I tried to explain this to him. I'm, I had this verse here. And um, when I f- show the picture to him, 
it began to make sense to my son. Now, he's not saved, but I'm praying that soon he will be. And, and, and I showed this picture to him, and I said, let me, let me say this to you, son. This little boy here, that little boy represents everyone in the world. It's me, your daddy. It's you, son, Landon. It's, it's Addie, except Addie has long hair. I said, I mean, every, this, is, this little boy represents it. But notice what that little boy is, has got tied to him. It says, my sin. And see, this, this picture is what we have to get in our minds, church. We have to understand this is the gospel that we have to live through every day. Every day you come to the gospel and understand that you have sin in your life. Just like you did when you came to Jesus the first time and you had sin in your life. And you same response. You come to Jesus, get on your knees with your sin and say, Jesus, I need you. And what happens is that burden of your sin is rolled away. Just like that song. Rolled away. And when that sin is left there, what happens is he picks you up and he covers you with righteousness. And you walk away with confidence knowing that God is all that you need today. You don't need everyone patting you on the back and saying you're doing a good job. You don't need to respond to the situation at work with anger. You don't need to, to handle this difficulty with, with a response of jealousy. No, no, no. You don't need that. You've got Jesus because you met with him this morning the same way you did when you first got saved. And his stripes, you were made well. You were healed. That's the gospel. And now, here's something that happens. As I, I was teaching my son this, I'm in, I mean, we're laying in the bed. I'm getting ready to go to bed with my, they're getting ready to put him to bed. I'm teaching him this Bible story. And as I'm teaching this, church, as I'm reading this to them, my heart is leaping in my chest because this is not a story. This is real life. Jesus really did this for us. He did it for me. I'll never forget this. But whenever, I mean, for, in that moment, two things happened to me. And this is, this is my conclusion, and I want to leave you with this thought. As you pack up your stuff and you walk out those doors tonight, I want you to, I want to burn that image in your mind. If I, I prayed the Holy Spirit that he would, he would just take that simple childish illustration and blow it up in your mind that you would hide it in your heart. Here's the two things that I noticed. Inevitably cultivates, two, this, this gospel inevitably cultivates, cultivates two things within my heart. One, it ignites a passion, a real passion of gratitude that I can barely contain it. You guys see me on Sunday morning. I mean, I'm about to come out of myself. I mean, I'm crazy in here because I am... I have, I have been radically changed by the glorious gospel that we're singing about. And, and, and my hands are going up. I want to shout. I want to sing. My heart is grateful for what God has done in my life. Church, is that you? If you feel that gratitude and that excitement, don't bottle it up in your, in your heart. There ought to be a response to the gratitude. And you know what? If you're not grateful, you don't have that surge of, of gratitude, then you know what it is? It's this. You haven't been in the gospel. You haven't been here lately. Say, well, you're judging me. No, I'm not. I'm not hey, I'm just saying, this is what happens when you get to the gospel. It's it would be what David said. It, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's that it happens to you. So there's a gratefulness that erupts in your heart. There's a passion. And the second thing that happened in, in your heart, which is natural, is the same thing that happened with Paul, is you, you become a debtor to all men. You want to spread this gospel to everybody you know. You want to share this good news because you can't contain it because your life has been changed. 
wrong. Your life is being changed by the gospel. You can't contain it. In church, I don't want to contain it. I want this to just revolutionize the city. And I'm not talking about just, you know, a lot of times we view vacation Bible school as a cute little thing. Church, it's not a, it is kind of fun, but it's, it's, it's not cute. It's not for children. It's the gospel. It's the power of God. Say, well, it's just for kids. No, hey, I mean, I get just as much out of it as the kids do. They have more fun maybe, but, I mean, it's, it's the same thing. It's the gospel. So I, I want to leave you with this. And, and going back to Romans chapter 1, verse number 1. I didn't read this to you as I began, but I wanted to read it now as we close. Paul said this, Paul, listen to how he describes his life. Because he has experienced the change of the gospel from faith to faith. Every day, what did he say? He said, I have to deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow me. I die daily. What's he talking about? That means he's going to the cross and saying, Jesus, I need you. My flesh, I got sin in my life. I have to die to myself. I need your righteousness. That's what it means to die every day. Go to the gospel every day. By the way, not just once a day, multiple times a day. If, you, if the Holy Spirit is revealing to you sin in your life, maybe you're in the hallway of your office, stop. Stop in the day. Go in your office and pray. Pray in that moment. Ask God to restore the righteousness in your heart. Ask him. Lean into him. Now, Notice what he said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Circle that word servant. The reason why he's a servant is because his life is radically changing because of the gospel. He's called to be an apostle. He's separated onto the gospel of God. Say, well, that's just Paul. No, 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 church. I believe that that is what all of us have been separated onto. You and I have been called out, separated from the old man, God specifically has an agenda for your life. He puts you in the job you have. He puts you in the house you're in to your next door neighbor. Everything is on purpose. The question is, do you get it? Do you see it? I'm going to close with this prayer and think about this. This is my prayer as I was in my office. I wrote it down. Let there be an all-consuming passion in our soul for the spreading of this gospel to those we work with play sports with, live across the street from, all to the praise of Jesus' name. Amen.